Welcome back to Texas Tech Health Check from Texas Tech University Health Sciences Center. I'm your host, Melissa Whitfield. We want you to get healthy and stay healthy with help from evidence-based advice from our physicians, healthcare providers, and researchers. School has been back in session for a few weeks in some places. How are your children coping? And what can parents or guardians say to get their children to open up about how it's going? Here to give us some tips is Dr. Sarah Wakefield, Chair of the Department of Psychiatry in the School of Medicine. She gives us ways to talk to our children about mental health, what happens during a well check, which includes Vital Sign 6, and what sources are available for students who need access to mental health resources. Dr. Wakefield, welcome back to our podcast. Hi, thank you so much for having me. School has been back in session for a few weeks now, and what do parents need to know about their kids' mental health? Well, I think first that transitions are always a trigger or can be a trigger for mental health distress. So it's a good idea to check in with your kid, kind of how are things going? How have you transitioned? How are your classmates? What's your relationship with your teacher? How are you navigating peers in the hallway? What are your new coaches like? So always those transitions are all or can be a trigger for mental health distress. So it's a great time to check in. It really this few weeks into school, that's a really important thing. And then that their kids won't always tell them, right? Like kids uh, follow the lead of, of what the conversation is around them. If you're not asking, then they may say, oh, this isn't something that I'm supposed to talk about. Then what can a parent do to help keep a positive mental health outlook for their kids? Well, I think first we need to make sure we're talking about it in a positive way. You know, that mental health is really important. Well-being is really important. And how, you know, what can we do together if they're if they're having struggles? What can we do together? Make it really normalize it. Like, you're, it looks like you're feeling down today. How, you know, what do you think would make you happy? Or what do you think would help you feel better? What kinds of things are, you know, are you thinking about right now? Just opening that conversation, making sure that that is not something we're just shoving under the, the you know, into the darkness and really bringing that into the light, saying this is something that is important to me and and I want to know about, but also modeling that behavior, saying, hey, I'm feeling frustrated today. I'm going to take a walk. I'm going to go get in the sunshine. I'm going to take care of myself. This is what I'm going to do to take care of me. I think that modeling is really critically important to showing you can say a lot of things. And I think that's important. If you don't bring it up at all, kids think, oh, this isn't important and I or I should not talk about it. Bringing it up is important, but modeling it and that well-being and taking care of yourself when you're not feeling great is is really important to bringing that message home to kids. What symptoms or things can parents be on the lookout to help their kids if they're struggling? So thinking about what parents need to be on the lookout for, um, a change. You know, parents know their kids better than anyone. And when you notice that your kiddo is isolating more, not coming to the dinner table, being more frustrated, you know, leaving early or having trouble getting up for school, not talking to you about things that they used to talk about, not talking about friends as much. So those changes are always things that should be a trigger or something for, for parents to say, huh, I wonder what's going on. And then to ask that question, hey, I've noticed this. 
you know, what's going on about that, uh, I think are really important things to be aware of as a parent. Now, uh, regular listeners will know that they should have scheduled their well checks in the summer. (laughs) But for parents who haven't scheduled their well check yet for their children, what is included in the well check and what is the vital sign six? So the American Academy of Pediatrics, like like many of our primary care societies, now recommends that all children are screened regardless of reporting of symptoms for depression and anxiety. And one of the reasons is that it is so common. It is so common, especially the numbers that we've seen post-COVID are that many, many, I mean, in some clinics, over 50% of our children are screening positive for depression and or anxiety. This is a really, really frequent thing that's happening. And the earlier we address it, the better we address it and the smaller we address it. You know, the less we have to do to really change that trajectory for a child, instead of saying, oh, you're fine, you're fine. I'm not going to talk about this. I'm not going to do anything to support you here. You'll get over it and then it just festers and festers and grows and then we end up having to do a lot more intervention to really change that trajectory. So Vital Sign 6 is a software-based program that is a screening tool. It's a screening tool that for a long time uh, primary care clinicians have been handing, you know, patients a paper form to fill out. And I would say for a long time, but probably it's for a couple of years. You know, those those recommendations have not actually existed for that long. But handing a form and sometimes those forms go right into the trash or they get scanned into an electronic health record, but nobody really looks at them. I mean, these are kind of the secrets of what happens to these things. And Vital Sign 6 is a program that really makes that not happen. So the patient gets a, a link on their iPhone or they get a tablet when they come into the doctor's office and they fill out the screeners. And, you know, it can be two questions. And if that's positive, it kind of goes on to a longer symptom screen. Once that happens, it puts it into the electronic health record where it's easier for that clinician to see, and they can see it over time. They can see, hey, you know what? They were doing really well, and then it looks like we've really had a falling off point where they're having more symptoms. So maybe the symptoms aren't even clinically relevant for a diagnosis of depression quite yet, but we can see a trajectory. We can see a pattern that if we address it now, maybe they will never have a diagnosis of depression. Um, But we can also see... If the child has a diagnosis of depression, screens positive, gets some treatment, how they're responding to that treatment if they're improving over time. So it really makes the the screens a more utilitarian tool for the clinician to be able to watch that over time. What we call that is measurement-based care. We do measurement-based care in every form of medicine. It's why we get hemoglobin A1Cs on people who have diabetes. It's why we get height and weight and blood pressure and pulse. That is all measurement-based care. We're going to measure something. We're going to make sure it's okay within a, you know, a normal parameter. If it's outside of that parameter, we're going to do an intervention and then recheck it. That's measurement-based care. It's not rocket science. And we have not been doing that for mental health care for a very long time. We've been you know, saying things like, how do you think that worked? How do you feel now? It's like, would you ever ask a diabetic if, you know, someone with diabetes, how do they think that worked? I mean, absolutely. You might ask that question, but to really truly see if it worked, you're going to check their blood sugar. (laughs) 
And so I think that's the same concept as what we're doing. And because we don't have a, a brain scan or a blood test, we're utilizing these objective screeners, these objective kind of symptom-based things to watch it over time. And that's what Vital Signs 6 does and helps us helps us look for true measures of do we need to do something? And if we did, did what we do worked? At what age does that start? So we start screening at eight is the recommendation. And some of the screeners, you know, we've talked about putting even screeners within the the framework that go down to younger ages. But I think eight years of age is a really good age to be able to understand how you're feeling. And, you know, it's a, the age, I have a, nine, a new nine-year-old, he was nine last week, but he can definitely tell me how he's feeling, right? So most eight-year-olds are able to tell you if they're feeling differently, if something's a change from their baseline and to articulate and communicate that. So We start screening for depression and anxiety at eight years of age. How do you make mental health a regular part of conversations in your family? Well, I think it goes back to, you know, asking those questions like how, how, how's the adjustment to school gone? You know, my dad has asked me for a long time growing up, like anybody mean to you today? (laughs) And so much so that it would be it would be annoying to me, right? But, he, or he would say, everyone nice to you today? And I'd be like, not everyone, you know, but then it would facilitate a conversation. And I think that's really important that you don't have to say, are you depressed? Actually, really don't like that question. Depression is a clinical diagnosis, you know? But are you sad? Something make you sad today? I like conversations at the dinner table. What's your high-low? You know, what happened today that you were, what was the best thing that happened today? What was the most frustrating thing that happened to you today? Really facilitates that, number one, not everything goes perfectly all day long and we're still okay when that happens. But number two, if there's a pattern, you know, if there's if there's something that you can see over time, it can come out in those conversations. And then I think parents modeling, like we talked about before, you know, modeling those behaviors of, oh, wow, I got really overwhelmed and I got frustrated and I yelled and that's okay. You know, I mean, I, I, I'm sorry that I did that. I'm sorry that I got overwhelmed, but it, it's a signal to myself that I need to take care of myself. So I'm going to go take a walk. You know, being able to kind of articulate that and verbalize that is great modeling for your kids. What are some misconceptions about children who need access to mental health? I would say all children need access to mental health. Uh, Mental health care is the most important thing that we do. And, you know, we don't want to think of mental health care as laying on someone's couch, you know, that we've seen in some cartoon or something like that. I mean, you can go lay on a couch. I would love to lay on a couch and talk to people about how I'm feeling. I think that's great if you if you need that and if you want that and you if you have that time. But mental health care should be almost everything that we're doing all day long. Really, how are we taking care of ourselves? How are we allowing people to treat us? How are we setting boundaries? How are we engaging in things that make us feel good? How are we getting exercise? How are we getting access to sunshine? How are we participating in therapy if that's what we need? How are we participating in skill building and coping and all of those things? So I would say that the misconception about children who need access to mental health care is that it's only some of the children when it's really is all of us, it's how we define mental health care is really the critical thing. What is CATER and are there any other programs like this around the state? Yeah, great question. So CATER, the acronym stands for Campus Alliance for Telehealth Resources. And that acronym is really uh, encompasses a lot of different things, a lot of different services within one program. But the idea is that we are 
allying ourselves with different educational campuses. So pre-K through 12th grade in the state of Texas, who in their efforts to support the mental health and well-being and access to mental health care for their students. And so through that program, we can provide assessments of kiddos and families. We can provide direct treatment if they need therapy, brief skill intervention, coping skills, if they need medication management. We can do all of those things. But we also provide robust education in mental health well-being to teachers, administrators, counselors to really facilitate, you know, what does it look like when a kiddo is in mental health distress in school? And what are some school-based interventions that we can do? What are some times that a kid does need to be referred to another program? So Cater is both a direct assessment and services arm and that educational arm to really help facilitate what it is to have mental health and well-being for kiddos who are in school. Yes, there are other programs around the state. In the 86th legislative session, the Texas legislature funded a program called TCHAT, Texas Child Health Access Through Telemedicine. That program was modeled after a couple of different programs or, you know, kind of loosely on several different programs in our state. But one of them was our cater program. We have been running this cater program in some iteration since 2013, and it, it previously was called Twitter, and now it's called Cater. But the for obvious reasons, there are other Twitter has has different connotations now than it did in 2013. But the T-Chat program is really to try to replicate some sort of school-based mental health access for all schools in the state of Texas. We've interviewed you before, and you, you've told us that early intervention is really important. Can you please tell us why? Oh, because early intervention means the littlest intervention possible, and it alleviates suffering, right? So the the longer you wait, the more you have to do, and because the bigger the mountain is. And the earlier we intervene, first of all, the more we decrease the stigma and say, yeah, you're, you're suffering. We need to address this. You deserve to have us address this. The second thing is that the earlier you intervene, the less symptoms there are to address. And the more that we can incorporate that early and really change that trajectory so much with so much less intervention. And the, the longer you wait, first of all, the longer people suffer. And why? Why? There's, there's enough to do in life. Like we, we need to alleviate suffering and do that as a community and really intervene as early as possible. But the longer we wait, the more you have to do to really change that trajectory. So it takes more time. It takes more visits. It takes more. It costs more. Is there anything else you'd like to add? Just that it's such a privilege to be able to do this work and to work with all of our our team here at TTUHSC, with the team at the Texas Child Mental Health Care Consortium and across the state and all of our educators who are doing such a phenomenal job, often under-resourced, often with so many challenges before them. But we are so privileged to be partners in the mental health care of the children in our state. Well, thank you so much for coming on our podcast. Thank you for having me. Thanks for listening to Texas Tech Health Check. Make sure to subscribe or follow wherever you listen to podcasts. This information is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice. Always seek immediate medical advice from your physician or your healthcare provider for questions regarding your health or medical condition. Texas Tech Health Check is brought to you by Texas Tech University Health Sciences Center and produced by Tierra Castillo, Susana Cisneros, Mark Hendricks, and me, Melissa Whitfield. <laughs>